0: So I wanted to ask you about, uh, because I, um, I'm curious how the conversation is because I'm not in the same spaces, uh, how do you feel uh, your community does with bracing its sense of indigeneity
1: Hmm. it's complicated yeah I mean I think that it really depends who you ask I mean here we see a heavy Mexican influence because the majority of people were in the south of the border. So the proximity to Mexico is so close. Mm-hmm. So the majority of people that live in Arizona are of Mexican descent or are Mexican. And I think that at this moment, it's like we have to understand the history of Mexico, right? As you as you said, Mexico was also colonized by Spain and we have a multi-asset, multiplicity of different tribes and indigenous communities so Mm -hmm. I think that there's always been this very dark history with Mexico about that yes we're mestizos or there's like this mixed race but then they always talk about the the colonizer right they talked Mm -hmm. about the Spanish blood the French blood we even had Mm -hmm. like uh, people migrating from Germany from a lot of Jews that came during World War Two, so then you have this, a lot of diversity within Mexico that people don't know mm-hmm. and it's very complicated and we see a lot of colorism, we see a lot of um, class that is assos- associated with that but I mean it's so rooted and, and it creates a lot of it has created a lot of racism within Mexico mm-hmm. and people don't talk about that, so then that translates into like how individuals see each other and how they have been taught to oppress and not investigate their indigenous roots Mm -hmm. or not even able to like tell like i i've been trying to track my family (laughs) my family tree and i've been very intentional about asking like okay you say we have indigenous flat where is it coming from right but not having answers and what do you do with that and it's this constant search of belonging yeah. but it's also this constant search of of not knowing what happened not knowing where you come from and all the confusion and identity crisis that it does to a person but I think at the same time it's about being very cautious about not romanticizing what happened because at the end of the day very different indigenous communities lived in a very different way like we had Aztecs killing their Mm -hmm. own people and making sacrifices and (laughs) it's a lot of contradictions right so then I think that it is really difficult because where are you going to start if you don't even know where you're coming from Mm -hmm. or where you come from it might be like a mestiza or a mix of like someone who was raped from a colonizer right right? and and that's really deep and that's a lot of trauma that Mm -hmm. that you carry without even knowing Mm -hmm. so I don't know we're still (laughs) trying to explore I know I didn't answer your question but I think that it's a very it's a very intimate and individual process as it comes with identity but at the same time there I, I see more now than ever within my friends, within some of the communities, especially like Mexican-Americans that have the opportunity to go back to Mexico. They wanna explore and really understand where they're coming from. But then there's some of us who are undocumented or have DACA that, that don't have that ability and we just rely on pictures or legal documents that I don't trust because my great grandma's house was like burned out and she like made up a birth certificates because she needed in order to like be able to have healthcare. Right. <laughs> so it's like, I just don't even know. It's just a ball of contradictions, at least for my own personal experience.
0: (laughs) Well, and uh, from having done the similar work in my own spaces, um, I uh, am a product of Indian schools in Texas. Mm -hmm. Like there's only two reservations in Texas. So they really forced integration, which, you know, forced integration is such a pretty way of like saying made intermarriage and intergenerational rape happen, right? but I don't know that there's a great answer at the end of the rainbow anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know that there's any solace in knowing where your great, 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 great grandparents came necessarily anyway. Um, You know, I think, uh, just for me, I can't speak to anybody else's experience. Like, for me, I think it was... Not who I was, or can I prove whatever how much I think I am or not. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm pretty light-skinned as well, so most people yeah. are like, you're not Native, you're, like, you're bald. And I'm like, yeah, we don't <laughs> all ride horses. And like, <laughs> <laughs> there's no Buffalo here, any, yeah. like, never was. You know, there's a whole idea of what you're supposed to be, but it's really like, you know, connections. Like, when you came in, mm-hmm. you know, you saw pictures of my partner, she's white, so like, you know, I get a lot of crap in my community about having a white partner, but like, I don't have any problems about having my dogs, right? They're still family. Why is there so? Why is there no stigma for this different species, yeah. where well, there is for a different race?
1: And I think that that's why we really need to be able to dig deeper. And really, as I said, like it, I'm personally witnessing a lot of like the romanticization of of the indigenous community and reclaiming. You hear, reclaim this, reclaim that, yeah. which I feel that is like it's something that people have a very different journey and I think that they should follow it as long as they're not harming others. Mm -hmm. But I think that sometimes it becomes very judgmental because not all of us have that access, right? As in like, I come from from a family where like half of my family is super open to talk about our roots and then mm-hmm. half of my family doesn't because there's a lot of a stigma and who am I to judge my great grandma and my grandma that grew up in a very different environment than I did mm-hmm. that they were actually like reprehended whenever they would speak about their past and it's just a very different like even generational Um, way of how you see the world so then Mm -hmm. who am I to judge my poor grandma who doesn't want to talk about that and how can I show up in a loving way while still trying to have my own self-discovery about what it means to you right now in this context coming Mm (laughs) being born in Mexico, seeing Arizona as my home, and then having a great grandpa who was from China, mm-hmm. a great grandma who they say that she was a Espan- Spaniard or French, depending who you ask, and having great grandparents that look very indigenous, and I don't even know what tribe.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Well, the reason I asked you that question is I know you to be incredibly strong person, right? And I knew you could be open and honest with that process because I think uh, you know, as an as an outsider, but still feeling really connected. Mm-hmm. Um, so in Texas, since I was brown, I grew up in like a barrio neighborhood, mm-hmm. like in a little area. And I didn't speak Spanish, so I was still an outsider, but at least I was brown, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're like, well, you know, you're brown, so you can <laughs> hang out. Like, you won't understand everything. <laughs> we'll feed you. Like, you know, the grandmas and the tías will still whip your ass if you do wrong, right? Because, like, you know, you need some correction and, like, communal love, too. Um, And I got both, right? Um, Mm -hmm. But it was cool because, like, you know, when I went to try to find connection with indigenous people, I couldn't speak that language. Mm. Any Like, I actually speak, uh, you know, Mexican-American better than Native American. (laughs) Because that's what I grew up around. Um, And there's no... I don't know. You can think a lot about how it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. but I think when you get to look at what how great it could be when it is Mm. it just feels so much better than hoping you're gonna have this like aha on your ancestry.com that will explain all of who you are you know I think who you get to spend time around who loves you who makes you grow uh, who supports you who knows your dark secrets and likes you no matter what tells you a lot more about who you are than where you're kind of supposed to be but I'm seeing that community had that happen a little bit more yeah um, in your community and I knew you could be open and talk about it
1: and it's complicated and I think that at the same time I think that it says a lot about of who we are about how we show up in the world in this daily pre- in this daily moment because I mean the past we can speculate what happened we will never know the truth truth right yeah. The present that's the only thing that we got in the future we don't know if we're gonna be here and I be like how are we showing up into the world and if if we're claiming to want to reclaim what happened in the past like are we willing to do the digging and and really try to explore about not only the good practices but what were some of the shortcomings on some indigenous Mm -hmm. communities and how are we as this generation trying to to improve or better ourselves as human beings? And are we actually excluding people or are we welcoming? And are we doing the exclusion out of our own protection and our own boundaries, out of fear or out of love? Or what are those, deeper questions that we that it takes a lot Mm -hmm. and it's really hard to be able to articulate them and also see yourself in a mirror because then you can be claiming to be for all this but how are you actually living it and putting your values and practices into action
0: yeah and that's hard it's an ongoing process yeah (laughs) but I feel like it makes you better for sure of course (laughs) um so I'm gonna ask the other question before I ask the next one just because we're talking about living being existing Mm -hmm. in a space You know, as an indigenous person here, like I get some benefits, I get some, you know, Mm -hmm. like when people are like, well, okay, I recognize you're Native American. Like when people give me the real American crack book and be like, no, (laughs) no, they didn't look like George Washington. Um, Y'all didn't really write the Declaration of Independence. You know, there's certain things I can push back on and like our forgottenness is (laughs) is very off-putting because they're like, oh, that's right. I don't get to do real American in front of you. Or I can try, but it's so much more false. It rings hollow. Um, So, uh, like, especially using, you know, Native American privilege. Like, I try to show -hmm. up and speak up a lot because I know it puts people in difficult situations. Yeah. Because I'm going to be like, you know, like, who stamped your paperwork? Uh, Who said it was okay for you to be here? Like, you know, I'm pretty sure you did, like, the worst crime that exists in human... Potentiality, which is genocide, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, remember, push against, but still, you know, our burden, I think, is like in being forgotten or Mm -hmm. thinking that we don't exist or, you know, the problematics of me going to the herd museum and being framed as, like, gone (sighs) when we're still here. But this, too, is your home, right? This is where you live. This Mm -hmm. is your space. Um, You belong here. How do you manage existing in a home that doesn't think you should be here? In the same way mm-hmm. where I'm thought to, to supposed to be dead or mm-hmm. white or of adopted whiteness, right? Like how do you manage that?
1: So for the longest time growing up here, I didn't really see Arizona as home just because I I clearly have an accent, I'm clearly not as, I'm light-skinned, but I'm not white, and I was told very explicitly, you're not white, and when I was with my Mexican friends, I was told very explicitly, you're not Mexican enough, and I'm like, I was born in Mexico, I don't know what you're talking about, I'm so confused right now. But I grew up with that, right? Not being brown enough, not being white enough, clearly having an accent, always questioning, no, 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 where are you really from, mm-hmm. right? We get that question all the time. And even being questioned, like not only like being raised here, but also being questioned that I wasn't Mexican, right? But yeah. even people who are not Mexican themselves. So a lot of contradictions growing up, and I think that it wasn't until I started traveling within the U.S., because of course I cannot really go outside of the U.S., but really going into like Tennessee, Washington, D.C., Texas, that I started missing Arizona, Mm -hmm. and it was a subtle thing. I mean, of course, I miss my parents. I miss like my community, but Mm -hmm. I started missing the desert, Mm -hmm. and I started missing like driving on the 202 when you see the sun, Mm -hmm. and I started missing... The way that I would wake up in the mornings to the little birds singing. So I started having all these associations with home, like our beautiful sunsets, right? That Mm -hmm. we obviously have the better ones. (laughs) I really do. We really do. If you haven't come to Arizona, you really have to come.
0: (laughs) They're phenomenal Um, every time. (laughs) But
1: those deep purples and reds and pinks, right? And I think that there's this like a lot of sentiment and a lot of emotions that are evoking even as I'm speaking to you about Mm -hmm. it. And for me, it's like, I don't care what a loss is, I don't care what people say, this is my home and nobody can take that away from me because when I'm gone in Washington, D.C. or when I'm gone in Tennessee, I can see I want to go home and home means this place. And it might change, I don't know. But Mm -hmm. at least for now, this is where my parents live, we still have the same house that they but when we first moved to the US, so they've been thinking about like should we sell it, should we no? And I don't even live with them anymore and I'm like, No, don't sell our <laughs> <Right>. home <laughs> It's like that's our home <laughs> right. But I think that um, I mean it does feel bad but at the end of the day like they don't define what I get to make meaning of. And I think that that has been my development. Before I felt that I couldn't call Arizona my home. Mm -hmm. And I think now it's more about it's like, okay, people are always going to talk and there's going to loss that I obviously think that are unjust. And I can just try to make the best out of it. And whatever people say, this is my home and I don't care what you say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. And nobody gets to say where anybody's home is. I I mean, unless you're coming into somebody's house. Like, I think that's the line, right? Like, you don't, like, open someone's front door and be like, this is my home, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's a universally but bad But isn't that practice. what Europeans
1: did? <laughs> right, exactly. Seriously? Yeah, like, uh, or,
0: you know, Palestinians in Israel. It's yeah. like that, that whole complicated accurate story. Like, just don't come into my house and act like that's where you live. Um. So with that, like, I like pivoting kind of to the next thing because I don't, I wish people knew the acuteness of our situation um, Mm -hmm. because I really firmly think, again, being someone who could be, you know, if anybody has a case of protectionism, it should be indigenous people. Um, But you don't really see or hear that very much. Mm -hmm. Um, I think uh, in my, uh, it's my argument that uh, a lot of the problems that we're seeing in uh, the United States specifically there's a lot of ism that's the result of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, right now, I think the only way out of a lot of problems that especially classism has created is immigration specifically. Uh, we were talking before the podcast started about mm-hmm. how Paul Ryan did his his job, like having the three kids, <laughs> um, but it completely is oblivious to the, I mean, he's, a, he's in my generation, not yours. So he has mm-hmm. no idea what the millennial perspective feels like but you know millennials can't buy homes and because they can't buy homes and they're saddled with debt with education mm-hmm. there's not really a space or opportunity to have of children um, because this is what classism has done and i feel like the only answer to some of these problems is immigration potentially um because i think there's things that classism is structurally made that I don't know is going to get undone in any specific time, Mm -hmm. quickly. And I'm not suggesting um, immigration in any second-class citizen way. I think uh, when you're here, you get to be here, like all the way. But I see it as like one of the only outs to so many problems, like Social Security just recently started pulling from the fund. You know, like people are super concerned that chilies are going away, (laughs) which I was like, (laughs) I was like, maybe Chili's... Hashtag
1: first world problems. (laughs) Right.
0: And I was like, maybe... Because I saw a picture... Oh, it wasn't. It was a picture of like um, Fridays. Like Uh uh, TGI Fridays. And it was like a hollowed out potato skin with like a piece of like, just like, you know, American cheese, just like craft cheese, like laid in Mm -hmm. there, not not shredded, nothing neat with presentation and like four little specks of bacon. And it was saying... um, Maybe Friday's is going out or just because your food sucks, <laughs> right? Because, um, you know, there was a laziness in the presentation, mm-hmm. right? Um, but uh, I do feel, you know, and change happens with every generation. Um, but I don't think people aren't, I don't think folks are aware that, like, we have some systemic issues. And really, I don't know that immigration, that there's a solution outside of substantial immigration, given the population, given what population trends are looking like.
1: I mean there was even just like a recent study that shows how there is a surplus of jobs and then we don't have enough people to fill their jobs mm-hmm. so I think that is just even beyond the what's morally correct what is just or what is like what's practical and rational like if we cannot get you through your human heart like let's be practical and logical you all like we have a big baby boomer population one Mm um two it's like we have a surplus of jobs and who's gonna fill? just the workforce Mm -hmm. and we are extremely dependent in social security programs that baby boomers are depending and they pay they pay in order to get that that they're not gonna receive, right? Mm-hmm. And if we're talking about being fiscally conservative, I mean, there's a reason why millennials are not having children. I would say that actually they're being very fiscal, physical, fiscal, phys- physical, <laughs> physically yeah, responsible. Physically responsible because yeah. it's like if you don't have a home, if you don't have a, like if you don't have enough wages to pay to bring to feed another mouth in your household, like how are you gonna do it? And I think that that's something that. That at a very practical standpoint, is like, how are we going to make sure that we're not positioned like other countries like Italy? Mm -hmm. Italy right now, it's like they don't have enough population. They don't have enough working population. And right now, the the government is even paying some of Italians to have children. Mm -hmm. And it's getting to that level that it's like that are seeing how the population is decreasing. And it's like... How come if we are trying to be a prosperous nation or whatever we so-called want it to be, that we are not even thinking at a very practical and rational point that it's like, hey, you don't even have people to fill these jobs. Mm-hmm. How are we going to make sure that we are attracting and making the environment more appealing for immigrants that come from very different backgrounds to actually be part of our community that we so desperately need?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a lot of the reasons why I ask you the questions I ask you is, Mm -hmm. um, I think folks need ways to understand how to create language around borders to help Mm -hmm. people understand, like, borders is a stupid human idea. Like, nature kind of has boundaries, but it doesn't have borders. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, you know, certain plants won't grow that far away from water. That makes sense. But, Mm -hmm. like, no, never. That doesn't work for most living Mm -hmm. things. Um, Or finding ways to talk about who gets to be in what spaces, and how and why, and how do people justify it. That's part of the reasons why I structured the questions in the way Mm -hmm. that I did. is because I think you'll give folks a language for how to um, advocate and make a difference. Because, uh, you know, the work that you do is super important and, um, you know, as an indigenous person, again, Who do I say gets to be here or not be here? Uh, Given morally, we should maybe have like the most whatever say with that. Um, I recognize that it's complicated. But that being said, you do a lot of work. You're flying all over the place. (laughs) You're attempting to justify your existence to people that hate your presence. You get to be part of like admittedly I'm sure some amazing unbelievable awakenings mm-hmm. when you're helping people heal right there's those unbelievable joys that are part of the work that you do that you can't really completely articulate mm-hmm. right but then there's also this great load and pain that you take on on behalf of other people too you have a really weird job <laughs> but, um, So with that, uh, and I said before we started the podcast, right, if someone gave you, like, another job paying, like, seven times the amount, like, I don't know that you really can go take that job, right? There's something about you and your life and your experience that makes you called and pulled to what you do. And in some way, when we do the work that we do, it's like scratching our own, Mm -hmm. like, it's an itch that we can't get. Mm -hmm. But when we help somebody else with it, like, it's provides a temporary relief but we'll always do what we do so what is your you know this is not an easy life why do you choose to do it why why can you not help but to do what you do
1: it's a great question um i think it's a calling
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's a calling and in a way it's very selfish because i get to be who i am and really put in practice my beliefs mm-hmm I think that if I, if we don't start looking inwardly and looking out about the ways that we can change the things that we don't like, then we're not serving our deepest purpose. Mm-hmm. And that might show up in a very different way. That might show up about um, becoming the chef that you wanted to be and mm-hmm. bringing, and it, like bringing all these different infusions of different cultures and maybe that says a little bit about who you are and you're sharing your deepest purpose and meaning with others and Mm -hmm. for me it's about how can I show up in a world where I can be my authentic self with compassion with love and from a place of seeking seeking to understand instead of judge Mm -hmm. because there's times that I'm just like oh my gosh I'm never ever 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 gonna again do like an allies training with white people because they just don't get it but then I have one of the deepest conversations with one of my friends who's white and she has been able to really like provide a safe space for me, for me in moments of crisis and mm-hmm. has been able to talk to me about compassion and true friendship and being able to be vulnerable with one another. And that really challenges me and my own contradictions and it's not about white people and it's not about all these people that don't get it. It's about, there are specific structures and systems that have created this, but if we don't start at home, if we don't start with the closest people around us, how are we actually building empathy and how are we actually building human connectedness? Mm -hmm. And how are we living in practice the vision and the values that we want to see in the world? And I think that that's what keeps me motivated and that's why I wouldn't take the higher paying job because I don't see any other way of me not being my, my authentic self and challenging my own biases and contradictions to, to show up in a way that I can just be a light and show love to one another.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, I think it's really easy to frame and stage you in a way where you're like this, you know, superhuman, superwoman person <laughs> going out flying all over the place fighting for justice and not see the human in you too right? Um, I think that's what a lot of people don't know is like, I mean, we're all just regular old humans. We make choices. Those Mm -hmm. make a significant difference. Um, And how and where we show up matters. But um, a lot of it is, uh, I think, when you really know who you are, what you're about and what you need to do to help yourself and help others, Mm -hmm. you really find your true purpose. And like you said, sometimes, I mean, There's nothing small about being a cook. Um, (laughs) When you can express love through food, I mean, we've all tasted that taste. (laughs) And it's not those potato skins. Uh, (laughs) It's something amazing, right? Um, But I don't think uh, they know that they have that same... There's that same thing in everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, And when they get to hear about you sharing it within you, they get to see and seek it within themselves a little bit more.
1: Yeah, there was a little story that someone shared with me as in... She was getting into a taxi. It was before left and over, and she was getting into a, la- a taxi. And the taxi driver looked at her and said, "I'm gonna do my best to drive you safely, and I would take care of you as I would take care of my daughter." Yeah. And that taxi driver was able to find that purpose, right? right. And I think for me, it's like, how can you find your calling, your purpose, and do that with love?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So the last thing I would like to ask of you is, um, so uh, folks that listen to this are hoping to help and make a difference for other people. So um, how or what asks could you tell them to do without, um, you know, we want to preserve your voice in the spaces where it's time for you to talk for you, Mm -hmm. Um, but how can they help? What can they do? How can they get involved Um, both here and say, shoot. In New York or something, how could they be involved? and How can they help make a difference? Or how can they connect or learn more about you and your organization?
1: Definitely, we would encourage people to come to our website alientoac.org. There's many ways that you can get involved, from listening to our podcast, from pitching in, money to making sure we have art materials to make our arts and healing um, projects and workshops alive. And then, but I would really challenge you to really ask the question: What are you willing to do? for people to know about what is happening. Mm -hmm. Because this knowledge, my hope is that you don't keep it, but you get to share it. So what are the things that you know about immigration that you feel uncomfortable? And really being able to ask those questions, where do you stand and why? And And through that discovery, hopefully you are able to articulate it and being able to share it with other people that might not agree with us. And really being able to have those tough conversations at the dinner table and go and talk to that uncle that is from kentucky (laughs) or i don't want to be so stereotypical but i mean like go and talk to your uncle or to your aunt or those people that are are having this really awful perceptions and ask them questions don't touch them try to try to withhold that like Thought and like curse and say, how can you not get it? But really, just ask them a question of why. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's gonna have to start there. We're gonna have to really dig in and really look ourselves in the mirror and making sure that we are providing mirrors to other people that might not have them. Yeah. Or might not haven't taken the time to really do that work.
0: Yeah, so, and I think people don't realize that that they can be listened to by others, right? Mm-hmm. Like we might go up to that uncle and they'll just scream and. Till they like, spit at us, you know, because they just <laughs> start screaming so much. That's the only response we could ever get. Like, with them, they were just like, you know, uncle whatever at some point where they had a simpler relationship and they could be heard differently. Yeah. Uh, and people kind of shy away from that. But, um, you know, I think they'll find who they are, too, in mm-hmm. leaning into that discomfort. Mm-hmm. Like, you become more true you, too. Yeah. Um, which is what I love about these this type of work. So With that, thank you so much for being here, for talking with us, and taking the time. It's been like an hour and three minutes, so I'm sorry <laughs> that we went a little bit longer. Uh, but it was great conversation. I really appreciate the opportunity to get to talk to you, uh, share uh, audiences. So I hope you check out the podcast. I'm a listener as well. It's great stuff, um, and they're doing wonderful work uh, So uh, in that I had the access to bring... Um, you to them, I appreciate that there is the opportunity. So, thank you.
1: Thank you so much for having me today and for this great invitation. It was such a meaningful conversation. Yes. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, me too. Thank you. Bye. Bye.